Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Sided Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Adam McGinnis. Today, we have a very special guest. Brad Robinson of News Radio 780 is joining us again. He's been here before. Very good guest, uh, very good baseball knowledge. He will be talking with us about a few things on this uh, very quiet week once again in Cubs baseball. A lot of talks about the budget being very tight, and it's getting more and more frustrating. We will certainly address that. We will also talk about what we may need to see from Theo if he wants to revitalize the bullpen, because there are some question marks there. We also got discussion of some scheduling that we've uh, found today, the Cubs schedule coming up for 2019, and some more. So we want to welcome in our guests and, of course, my co-host. Let's, let's go to our guests first. Brad, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I, I guess I'll check in on my co-host, Adam. What's no, up? No, no, it's too late. You already you lost my interest. Okay, you know that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I, I was here to talk to Brad today anyway, so. Yeah, um, well, me too. Mm-hmm. So that makes that makes two of us. Hmm. Well, this will be you interesting. You guys are going to be then. sorely disappointed. Make the oh, decision, Brad. God. Who will it be? <laughs> uh, neither. Yeah, pressure's on you. <laughs> yeah, the rose is going elsewhere, boys. <laughs> ah, well, at least you get that over with now. At least you established that. All right, so let's just get right into it, guys. We continue to see a whole lot of nothing involved with the Cubs and player moves. They've hired some coaches. They've done a few very minor things, but nothing really of note. We're hearing more and more about these whole budget problems and how there's no money to spend. There was a report the other day of that they couldn't even afford a guy like Adam Warren, and people talked about, well, they couldn't even afford Jesse Chavez. That's why he's gone. Brad, since you're our guest, I'll ask you first, what do you make of the kind of the latest talks about Theo Epstein? Do you think that all these sources saying that there's really no budget is 100% accurate? Do you think the creativity that they're talking about is just a way to try to be creative and they're not necessarily on a tight budget? I mean, what are your thoughts right now? Well, I think we need to, to start off by establishing that Theo Epstein doesn't set the budget. Um, I'm sure he has some say in the budget, but ultimately that budget is set by, um, by the uh, business side of things and by ownership. So um, if it were up to Theo, I'm sure – you know, a budget would, would never hinder any move that he wants to make. So we should establish that right off the bat, that, that it's not necessarily Theo's decision um, to have the budget where it's at. All that said, uh, yeah, listen, it's a business, and as a business, uh, there is going to be a budget. There's going to be a limit to the spending that um, that ownership will allow because, you know, there's only so much you can you can – throw money at when it comes to some of these larger problems that we've seen with the Cubs with some of their past free agent moves. Uh, I have no doubt that um, when they made the budget, they didn't 
uh, give the go-ahead for Harper to just be blindly added to the top of things. Uh, as it is right now, the budget stands around, or the, the payroll stands around 227-ish million, you know, give or take a few million. So they've got plenty of resources, um, but in order to fit Harper's salary in there, if they are really interested in, it seems to me that they are, uh, yeah, they're probably going to have to move some money now. That might mean eating some uh, large portions of other contracts, but you know they're they're going to have to find a way to uh, to move some cash if they want to add a uh, uh, contract this size of Harper's. Yeah, I think that makes sense. There was a lot of talk about a number of guys possibly being moved. Uh, Adam and I talked about it earlier. Adam, what do you think of all this? Yeah, I mean Brad's right, uh, and I don't think anybody should believe that the Cubs can't afford to sign Harper or anybody else. It's just that they don't want to. Uh, it seems like they don't want to have to deal with uh, going past the luxury tax threshold. But if the reports are true that they'd have to get creative even to just sign a, a long reliever type, then it seems like they have no choice. Because at this well, point, I don't think they can quite stand pat. I think they – discounting Harper, let's just, just not even think about Harper for a second. They're going to have to make some more moves. I, I don't think they can just stand as they are right now and call it an off season. So, I mean, one way or another, they're going to have to get creative and, and at least consider uh, going above that threshold. Well, you know, let's also remember that there were some reports of, that they were going to have to clear some money to sign Daniel Descalso. Um, and they didn't have to clear money to sign Daniel Liscalso. So, um, you know, it's it's entirely possible that um, when Bryce collects all his final offers, they uh, bring him back to the Cubs, and Cubs ownership says, you know what, we think this is worth it. That's entirely possible. Uh, we have no indication to think that that will happen, but there's no, you know, there's nothing that says that it absolutely won't. So. Uh, I think the money thing is, is really fluid. The, the TV deal will likely have an impact on that, even though Theo said it won't. Um, you know, there, there's just a lot of moving uh, parts when you have an organization as big as the Chicago mm -hmm. Cubs with as many different uh, holding interests as they have when you're talking about all the other businesses around the neighborhood and the spring training facilities and all the minor league stuff and the scouting and international. And, you know, there, there's a lot of moving pieces. So, um, yeah, they have the money. Um, I'm not so sure I buy there as poor as they say they are. I think some of that is positioning. I I don't know that I'd buy that either. And that's that's just another problem with mm -hmm. the off season for for fans like us is you know as much as we'd like to be in the loop and really know the ins and outs of of each team's financial situation, the truth of the matter is we're pretty much in the dark, and we really don't know what their reality is. And we get contradicting reports all the time, so it's really anyone's guess as to what their actual situation is. But I, I agree with you. If I had to guess, I would say it's not nearly as dire as some of, some of the media is uh, making it seem. Brad, earlier on Twitter, I think it was a few days ago, when Theo Epstein was talking on 670 The Score, he was doing an interview there, you were kind of saying, look, he's not going to flat out tell us what he's going to do. That wouldn't be a smart move. Um, is there anything you would like to kind of enforce on that, kind of saying how Theo Epstein is really not going to show his cards here and that this could really just be him not trying to show his cards, that maybe he has an alternate plan in mind? Yeah, I mean – <laughs> Anytime you listen to a good um, sports executive during the off season, 
Um, listen, they're only going to tell you so much. They don't want to tip their hand to, um, you know, agents, to other front offices. Uh, there's also a sensitivity with players that are currently on their own roster. So, you know, how, how exactly does it feel if uh, if they're out there lusting over a player and they've got somebody at that position already? You know, there, there are human beings at stake here too. So, you know, they're not going to come out flat out and say, listen, we want this guy because that really um, kind of hampers their ability to deal from a position of strength when it comes to negotiating. Um, so, you know, he, he plays both sides of the fence. Uh, and in that particular interview, that's exactly what he did. He was noncommittal about everything, but uh, he didn't close the door on uh, on adding some big talent. Uh, he certainly didn't guarantee they'd add some big talent, but, you know, that's, that's what he's going to do. And he continued with the narrative that there is a budget, um, which is reasonable, and fans should know that there's a budget. So, I mean, it, I didn't get a whole lot from the interview. Um, it seemed to me like he was basically saying a lot without saying anything at all. There was a quote he had, and it said, we have more than enough resources to win. Does that kind of play along with playing the card, so to speak? Is he saying we have the more than enough resources to win? People are uh, taking that as, well, he's not going to do anything now because he thinks the team is good as it is. I personally don't think that's what he really thinks. I think that's kind of his way of saying, you know, we have what it takes to win. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's all that we need to win. Or, you know, something along the lines of he's not going to come out and say we have this many problems right now in the middle of the offseason because that would kind of indicate what he would be doing. Does that – do you think that applies here? Or do you think he really believes that right now – they have the resources to win. I'll ask both you guys, Brad first, and then Adam, you could have your input on that. Well, they do have the resources to win, even if they're not adding any talent. <laughs> Again, the, their payroll is going to be like, you know, in the 230, like 225 to 2, you know, 40 range. I mean, they've got plenty of money spent on players. They're, they have a yep. lot of big contract players on their roster. Uh, they've got players entering arbitration who are going to be making more and more over the next three years. They have allocated the resources to win. Unfortunately, um, some of the decisions that the front office has made, um, to this point anyway, as far as uh, you, Darvish, and uh, Chatwood, and Brandon Morrow, and to a lesser extent, Jason Hayward, um, haven't worked out, right? If those guys worked out, you'd look at this roster and you'd say, well, this roster is as stacked as any in the National League, and of course the money that they're spending is enough to win. Uh, the money isn't the issue, it's the production. Right. That's a good way to put it. Adam, what do you think? Yeah, I'm pretty much on the same page there. I think that as they are right now, they are still good enough to win the NL Central this upcoming season. Uh, but that doesn't mean they should stand pat, because pretty much every team in the division has improved this off season. And so if you have the resources to keep adding and to get even better, you got to do it. Even if it means in- incurring uh, some small penalties here and there, because I, I, my understanding is that going beyond the luxury tax threshold really doesn't uh, penalize a team that much. It's not, it's really not too severe. Um, 
I don't know what they'll do. That's that's been the frustrating part of this off season is that I think a lot of people are just genuinely confused by what this front office is doing. Uh, if you think back to last year, uh, we had a pretty good idea what they what their interests were. They they right. pretty much came out and said that they wanted to address the starting pitching, and they went and got you Darvish, which was really exciting, but it wasn't at all surprising. This offseason is a little bit of a different story. We really don't know what their interest is in Bryce Harper. We don't know if they're actually going to go after some of the top remaining relief pitchers on the market. Really, the only thing they've done uh, that's made headlines is Daniel Descalso, which I don't think is sufficient for the whole offseason. Um, obviously, I'm sure they're not done, but I. that being said, I have I have no clue what their next move is. Yeah, I think a lot of people there, don't. There, there are spots on the roster that need to be addressed. I mean, no matter what they decide to do budgetary-wise, uh, they need another middle infielder. Uh, even if they decide to stick with Addison Russell, he's going to be suspended for, you know, the first month and a half or whatever of the season. So they, they need another middle infielder. They really could use a backup catcher. They need a couple arms in the bullpen. Um the fact that they've been so quiet in the hunt for those other things uh, tells me that they have a bigger fish in mind. Now, I may be wrong or maybe I'm right and they don't end up landing that fish, but um, this isn't the front office that has ever traditionally just sat on their hands. And after the disappointing way that season ended, I'd be shocked if they ended up just not doing anything at all. It seems to me like they are waiting for – uh, for the big fish to be caught before they decide how they can address some of the uh, some of the smaller issues. Yeah, because let's face it, like you said, there are a lot of smaller issues. One which I want to talk about in a minute is the bullpen. I would definitely love a veteran catcher, another veteran catcher behind there. I don't know if Victor Caratini is going to be the guy throughout the year to be the backup. I just I don't see it. And yeah, obviously the Addison Russell and the middle infielder thing that hasn't been determined yet. So yeah, there are definitely a lot of uh, choices there. Now, Brad, people were talking about the whole Troy Tulowitzki thing and that the Cubs apparently were in on him and then he ended up going to New York. Uh, You said some things on Twitter also about what it could or could not mean for Addison Russell. Do you mind kind of describing that here? Well, uh, the idea that they were willing to um, buy, anyway, buy, buy, certain reports out there that they were willing to uh, offer Troy Tulowitzki a starting position, even if it was just in Addison Russell's absence. Um, Listen, it's a guy who's uh, definitely on the wrong side of age. Um, He's a guy coming off major injuries. Uh, He's a guy who hasn't really played in a couple seasons. Uh, uh, Even at uh, league minimum, I'm not so sure how you can – uh, promised starting time to a guy like that without it meaning that um, maybe they aren't as sold on Addison Russell as people think they are, or that maybe that tendering of a contract to Addison Russell was really just to buy time. Um, now, since Tulowitzki's gone and they don't have that uh, cheap replacement option, who knows, maybe Addison becomes a little more attractive, but it says to me that they were – um, ready to, to kind of walk away from that $5 million and from Addison Russell. Yeah, I can I can see where you're coming from that because a lot of people had different uh, kind of different opinions, but 
I definitely see what you're saying, and I think it makes sense. One more thing before I want to talk bullpen with you guys. Kind of what we were talking about before, we mentioned luxury tax and we mentioned budget. Now, this is just my opinion, and I wanted to get your guys' opinion. I don't think the Cubs are that concerned about the luxury tax itself. I just think that if there are any restrictions, it's just basically there's a budget in place, and I don't know if it really has anything to do with the luxury tax. I Again, I don't know. This is just me guessing. Like, like Adam said, the penalties for going over the luxury tax aren't exactly huge. So that's kind of where I think – they're saying they have a tighter budget and they may have more flexibility from ownership than we think. But I think in the end of the day, there is some sort of budget they want to set just because look, businesses have budgets, no matter how much money you make, look at the biggest companies in the world. Google has budgets. Coca-Cola has budgets, Microsoft, Apple, every company in the world has budgets as I'm sure the Cubs do. I just don't know if it's based on the luxury tax, uh, I just wanted to get your guys' thought on that. Well, if we're to believe Theo, it's really um, it's business-oriented and not uh, not baseball-oriented. So that would certainly lead you to believe that um, maybe something in the business isn't cashing in the way that they expected it to at this point. Uh, that very well may be the TV deal. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think when they were mm-hmm. setting up this plan, you know, they had thoughts about this this TV deal being this uh, gigantic Dodger-like multi-billion dollar thing. And uh, it seems like it's really not going to be that, and it's going to be more of a kind of kind of a uh, long game to, to make it profitable. So, you know, that could, that could have a huge impact on the player salary budgets. And, it, you know, that, that doesn't um, tie to the luxury tax. That ties to what they're making as a company. And even though Theo is saying that the TV thing doesn't have anything to do with what's going on right now, do you think he's just saying that because there is no deal in place so he can't really say yes or no? Yeah, I don't see how it could not have an impact. I mean, you're talking about a, a major source of of, uh, of revenue for a major market team. Of course it's going to have a huge impact. Adam, what are your thoughts? So I – I think another thing to, to, to consider, to think about, um, if the Cubs really are zeroing in on one of the big fish, um, they would almost have to make uh, some sort of trade, I think, or some sort of corresponding move. I don't think they could just sign Bryce Harper or Manny Machado because, like you said, luxury tax or no luxury tax, they still have a budget that they want to follow. And if you get a guy like Bryce Harper, then you're almost certainly going to have to ship one or two of Kyle Schwarber, Albert Almora, Jason Hayward. I just can't see them uh, being able to keep all those guys and sign Bryce Harper. So it it, it could be that they're uh, in talks with other teams to see if they can work out some sort of deal uh, to not just to free up cap space, but also to just free up a spot. Yeah, I kind yeah, of agree that there's going to have to be something done. Brad, who do you think would be traded? Most likely, if they were to clear space, who do you think would be traded? Well, I mean, the the obvious one would be Jason Hayward, and and while you're not um, likely to be able to trade all of his uh, all of his contract, you can probably find a taker for at least a, a 
you know, maybe a little less than half of that contract. You know, Jason Hayward, look, he's a two-war player. He, I, I know he doesn't hit particularly well, but he offers a lot in the way of uh, of defense and base running and uh, and his personality and veteran leadership. And there are there are um, things that are attractive about Jason Hayward that maybe a rebuilding team that currently has a lower budget may be willing to say, you know, listen, if we're getting a two-war guy in his early 30s, we'd be willing to take on maybe $10 million a year of that deal, right? Eight to $10 million a year of that deal. So mm-hmm. I think Hayward would probably have to be part of that. I think maybe you uh, entice a team to uh, to jump at that by tying maybe a, uh, a knee and hap to him or a prospect or two to him. Um, and, again, the other thing that they could do is uh, Addison Russell – his his deal isn't uh, isn't guaranteed yet, and if they decide to go in a different direction, that's another five million plus right there. So, uh, you know, if they could find about ten million a year in relief in Hayward, and then you get rid of Russell, then all of a sudden that's half of Bryce Harper's yearly salary for for 2019 anyway. So, I think uh, I think those two guys would probably be on the chopping block. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people would agree with. Adam and I talked about this earlier, who would potentially be traded. And, yeah, I mean, that that all really kind of makes sense. Uh, So I wanted to get into the bullpen because, let's face it, it's going to need some revamping. I'm sure both of you guys can agree with that. Look, we had some good relievers last year. Pedro Strope, once again, was very good, and then unfortunately got hurt near the end. Steve Ciszek was lights out, and then he was kind of gassed out by the last month. And then you got Brandon Morrow, who's probably going to be hurt to start the season, which is a shame because, you know, a lot of people talk about Brandon Morrow and how, oh, you know, it's another failed signing. Yeah, he got hurt, but you know what? When he was healthy, he was dang good. A 147 ERA, a fifth under three. In 30.2 innings, yes, I get it. He was hurt, but when he did play, he was dang good. But look at the rest of the bullpen. Carl Edwards Jr. started off fantastic, and then we all saw what happened towards the end of the season, like last year. Mike Montgomery, very up and down. You see a lot of the uh, promise, and then you see some rough patches. Randy Rosario kind of came out of nowhere last year, kind of fell down to earth towards the end. I mean, there's a lot to be done here. Do you really trust, like, youngsters right now, like uh, Dylan Maples right now, who doesn't have a lot of experience, Dwayne Underwood, who doesn't have a lot of experience? There's a lot of questions here. So, Brad, I'll ask you first, uh, how much do you trust the bullpen right now in the state, and how how much work do you think needs to be done on it? Well, if Brandon Morrow is is out there and pitching, you trust you know, the trust level is much higher, but you can't count on him to be there um, and to be healthy. Uh, Pedro Strope is great. Uh, C.J. Edwards, you know, he's been inconsistent. You know, I think everybody thought he'd be further along by this point in his career than he is. Um, yep. Cishik kind of felt like a little bit of lightning in a bottle last year when he was really rolling and they exhausted him. So, you know, I think – if we look at the history of the way the Cubs have kind of built their bullpen, um, they've got a couple guys that they really like and are reliable. And outside of that, it's been like just gathering as many like uh, low risk, low money guys together. Your Randy Rosario types, your uh, you know your Rex Brothers types, and and just kind of 
cooking up that big bowl of reliever spaghetti and throwing it against the wall and seeing if anything sticks. So um, I wouldn't expect them to go after like a, a, a big money reliever. And um, man, those relievers have been making some big money, man. I mean, non-closing setup guys are bringing in, you know, 11, 12, 13 million a year in this, in this uh, market. So uh, I don't see the Cubs doing that. I think they'll probably stick to what they've been doing, which is try and try and, find some luck, uh, hope they get more innings out of their starting rotation next year to re- alleviate some of the uh, workload on the bullpen. And then at the trade deadline, if uh, if they feel like they really need a significant upgrade, then they'll address that then. Adam, what are your thoughts on the bullpen as it stands right now? Uh, I'm I'm pretty iffy. I, I mean, I'm, I'm with both of you guys that, that – there's a lot of ways it could go for the Cubs bullpen in 2019. Uh, you really don't know what you're going to get from Carl Edwards. Uh, it would be, I think, unrealistic to expect Steve Ciszek to have the, the same kind of production this upcoming season. Uh, and then, yeah, Brandon Morrow is a big question mark too. So, it, I mean, they almost have no choice but to, to add some pieces. Uh, but you, you got to remember this. This is one of those things that that every fan base kind of freaks out about every single off season, and everybody thinks that having a, a struggling bullpen with question marks is unique to them. It, I mean, really, a lot of teams are going through the exact same thing. Um, but I, I think that it would be good for them to maybe get somebody like Adam Ottavino or Brad Brock, even Ryan Madsen. I think could be a a high upside, low risk guy for 2019. Yeah, because, you know, I did an article a few days ago on Covey's Crib, and I was kind of talking about how the relief pitcher market is beginning to thin out. You are seeing guys sign other places. Now, Craig Kimbrell is still on the market. I don't think the Cubs are going to shell out a bunch of money to get him. No. And just like Brad said, they've gotten a lot of production over the years from low-risk, high-reward players. It's actually amazing the number of, if you want to really call them this, it's kind of harsh, but rejects that have come over to the Cubs and have kind of revitalized themselves, at least for a little while, in the bullpen. Uh, I talked about Clayton Richard in 2015. I talked about Fernando Rodney. I talked about Trevor Cahill. I talked about Jorge De La Rosa. I mean, those are just a few guys you could name that you know came over, the veteran guys, been around a while, kind of at the back end of their careers, looking like they were done, and they were effective parts of the bullpen. I mean, look at that 2015 bullpen as a whole. It was a lot of rejects, no-name guys from the minors, all getting the job done. They don't really go all out for relievers unless it was like the Aroldis Chapman trade or it was the Justin Wilson trade. You know, outside those moves, it's been a lot of those types of moves. But I think I would really love to see the Cubs go after an established guy. Well, let's also remember that – uh, reinforcements in the bullpen don't have to necessarily come from the free agent market. So uh, if right. they are looking to make a move that clears some salary cap, uh, it's entirely possible that they what they get back is a reliever. So their main addition to the bullpen uh, may be somebody that's wearing another uniform at the moment. So, um, you know, I think we it'd be wise to kind of band the way we look at uh, uh, how the bullpen needs to be addressed. I named two guys in that article who I thought would be interesting trade targets. I don't know how realistic they are, but 
the Cubs and the Giants had been linked to kind of these rumors that have been going around in terms of Cubs trades for a while. Jason Hayward being one of those. Uh, they have two guys on that team, Tony Watson and Will Smith. They're under team control for at least two years, I believe. They were really good last year. Uh, Watson had a 2.59 ERA, 2.45 FIP. Smith had a 2.55 ERA, 2.07 FIP. Uh, both WHIPs uh, below 1.1. So I know the Giants are kind of in a rebuilding spot now. Whether they're going to actually rebuild is yet to be seen, but. I think maybe if they thought about thinking about the future, they'd be willing to dangle those guys. I don't know what they would be asking for. I don't even know if it's realistic, but those are two guys I was kind of thinking about if they wanted to, you know, maybe inquire about a reliever or two if they wanted to trade with them. So, you know, again, those are just thoughts. Uh, Adam, do you have any guys in mind that you would want to go after non-free agent-wise? Or is there somebody free agent-wise outside of the guys you listed that maybe would be a dark horse? Because there are a lot of guys out there that have been around, they've had up-and-down careers, and maybe they still have something in the tank. Yeah, I I don't know. I just I think everybody the Cubs really wanted is either in an established position on their on their current team, or, and like you said, the the relief market is, is thinned out considerably. Uh, so I, I really don't have any ideas as to as to who they could go after in like a trade. Uh, I think that they've got some compelling pieces in the in the minor league system that they could potentially bring up. What are your guys' thoughts on Dylan Maples? Do you think he has a future here to be really good? Because we've seen some of the potential, but there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, he's he's your typical. Um... You know, young reliever. I mean, his stuff is there. I mean, it's it's electric. Um, it's just a matter of if he can throw strikes or not. You know, it's, right. It's been a real uphill battle for him as far as command. Um, his ball moves all over the place, and man, he throws hard. And you watch him, and you think this dude has a serious future uh, in the back end of somebody's bullpen. But you know, like Carl Edwards, if you're not throwing strikes, you know, you're not going to be uh, at the major league level very long because, uh, you know, that's that's the one thing you got to do out of the bullpen, man. You just can't walk, guys. Right. Adam, what do you think about him? It's hard to say. I mean, it, we've seen just a, a really small sample size of him in the majors, uh, something like a 10 ERA uh, in not very many innings. But Brad's right. I mean, the stuff is there. Uh, I worry, though, that at 26 years old, uh, if there is if there's room for for hope that he could develop any further, because by the time a pitcher reaches that point in his career, I'm, I'm sort of inclined to believe that they kind of are what they are. Um, I hope I hope he's able to get it figured out, and I think that there's there's a chance he could. I think the Cubs should give him a shot at the major league level at some point this season, but I think the leash will be short. You're probably right. I mean, he was called up in September didn't get a lot of time, and that was the time to do it. Bring him up late. You're not going to bring him in the middle of the season in a tight race, uh, but, you know, maybe we'll see what they do this year. And I bet you there will be some AAA player that we really haven't heard about coming up and doing something with the Cubs, kind of like Randy Rosario did last year. I'm not so sure if 
I trust him to be what he was last year because he did kind of trail off a bit after a while. And you look at the FIP numbers, and they're not all that spectacular. But, I mean, hey, you never know. It would be in the Cubs' best interest if he was still good, obviously. But I, I personally don't know if I trust Rosario like I did when he first came up last year. I don't know what your guys' thought on that is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we basically saw the best of what they can get from him uh, last year. He was pitching pretty far over his head, and, uh, you know, he was doing a lot of it with smoke and mirrors. So, uh, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd be absolutely shocked if there was a, a repeat of that. But, um, again, this front office has been pretty good at finding guys that can do that for, you know, a couple months at a time. So, um, you know, when, when one guy loses effectiveness, you know, move him out and, and bring in somebody else to give it a try. Here's one more question I have for you guys on the pen. Looking at what they have now and looking at kind of what could be still available free agent-wise, I'm not talking trade or anything like that. I'm just talking free agent. Do you guys think there's a particular spot that absolutely needs to be filled that's not closer? I'm talking about Lugie or Setup Man. I mean, I think Pedro Strope is pretty much our setup man no matter what. But is there just some type of reliever that you think that they need to add, like a certain type? Well, I mean, like a like a you know a solid eighth inning relief uh, setup man would be great. Um, you'd think that would be Strope, but with Morrow not being able to go, you know, multiple days in a row, and with his injury issues, I'd be surprised if Strope isn't in the closer's role more often than not. So somebody that can uh, set things up for Strope would be nice. I, I agree with that. I think it, the ideal situation for the Cubs would be Strope in the eighth and Morrow in the ninth. But obviously there's kind of a big question mark hanging over both of those guys, Morrow more so than Strope. Um, I think it would be good for them to maybe try to find another long-release type guy, somebody who can give you two or three innings at a time. For sure. Now, do you guys think that they're going to go closer by committee for a while? Because I could see them at least starting with a closer by committee, though I think, you know, if they're well in the race, which I expect them to be, come trade deadline, they're going to look for a more solidified closer if Brandon Morrow is not fully healthy. But, I mean, personally right now, I could see them going closer by committee if Brandon Morrow's not back yet and you bring Pedro Stroke to be your opening day closer, but you know, I feel like if he starts out as kind of the full closer before Brandon Morrow comes back, I feel like they'd still do a somewhat by committee just because Pedro Strope, while he's shown to get saves last year, I just don't know if they would want him to be a full time closer for very long. I mean that's just that's just my opinion. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think they will. Uh, they'll go with Morrow as long as Morrow is uh, is healthy and uh, and it's a day where he's good to go as as far as workload. So uh, I think he's definitely the first one they go to. After that, yeah, I would think that Strope would be next in waiting. But if they have to keep going to Strope over and over, and if uh, if Morrow has uh, severe injury issues again that that um, forces him to miss a lot of time then I'd expect them to probably go outside to find some sort of a solution. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and I think doing it by committee becomes a lot more possible uh, if Carl Edwards is pitching well, right? Because he's a guy who right. who has closer stuff. He's a guy who has kind of that uh, that demeanor about him. He, he just he seems like he should be able to close games. 
So if he's, you know, going well for a while, maybe he uh, forces his way into the conversation. But I think for at least the start of the season, it's going to be one of those two guys, uh, Strope or Morrow. You know, it's really too bad because Carl Edwards Jr. has some really good stuff. We've seen that fastball in the mid-upper 90s. We've seen what that curveball can do. And you saw how unbelievably dominant he was in the first half last year. But you saw the struggles in the second half. His walk rate per nine was above five overall. I mean, overall, even when he was doing good, you know, obviously the walks were still a thing. It stinks because – I thought a few years ago he would have been the closer by now for the Cubs, and he definitely has the closer stuff, but I could also say right now the thought of Carl Edwards Jr. coming in and closing is pretty terrifying. <laughs> yeah, but watch yeah. mow down hitters for a month or two and you might feel a little differently. You know, we, we, have, uh, we have such a recency bias in these things, right? No way I would let Carl Edwards be the closer. I mean, maybe maybe you're right if, if he has uh, enough of a hot streak going, maybe test it out. But even then, uh, he's the kind of guy who we've seen, you don't want to throw him off his rhythm. And so if he's playing like a sixth or seventh inning type of role, I would be hesitant to take him out of that to test him out as a closer. Yeah, I think they understand the risk of it. And they understand as well the potential, but I think he's got to prove consistency first. And it's frustrating because yeah. it looked like he did prove consistency. And then, like 2017, come late July, August, things started going downhill. And that's the thing. It's kind of been a pattern with him. You've seen these similar patterns. That's, that's why you worry. But, yeah, I don't think he's going to be considered – a closer unless Morrow continues to be hurt and something is up with Strope. I think he's still I, – I think C-Sheck would close before Carl Edwards Jr. would – because think about it. C-Sheck is a former closer. He has experience as a closer. So I think right now he would be fourth in line behind candidates for closing. That's entirely possible, although that also depends on how C-Sheck looks. Uh, to start the season because, again, he's a guy who's not getting any younger. And, uh, you know, I think he really surprised a lot of people last year by pitching a bit over his head as well. So, Yeah, I mean, he's always been good. But last year he was just awesome from April to I'd say mid-August because late August, early September, that's when you really saw the wear and tear with him. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, I don't know if you guys have any more thoughts on the bullpen. The last thing I wanted to address was today we saw the September schedule for the Cubs in 2019, and we all remember what happened last September. And all I got to say is, woof, that looks brutal again. Yeah, it uh, it doesn't look good, and there's, uh, you know, that <laughs> it's actually, it, it looks a lot like a lot of other teams' schedules this year as well, and it's just too much baseball in uh, in a short period of time. Um, with expanded playoffs and everything, that means the playoffs are going longer and you have to get the season in faster because you don't have that extra week at the end of October to, to fit the playoffs in. And, uh, you know, if you're going to have the expanded uh, expanded playoffs, it really makes more sense for there to be a 154-game uh, season because 163, you know, forcing these guys um, – 
at, at the end of a season, at the end of the rigors of a long and strenuous physical season, to ask all these guys to go through another, like, six weeks with two days off, it's absurd, right? I mean, like, yeah. simply from, like, from like the, the, the levels at which we can push the human body, it's, it's ridiculous. And I know September call-ups come up and, and soften the blow a bit, but not on a contending team they don't really, right? I mean, a contending right. team is really still putting out their best guys. They're, they're not relying on a bunch of, uh, a bunch of quadruple-A September call-ups, so they're not, they're not helping the good teams very much. And all of a sudden what happens is you get to the playoffs and everybody's just gassed. So, you know, and you get a couple of rain delays in, in April with a team that doesn't come back to Wrigley Field and where do you make that up? You make it up at the end, right? So there goes those days off, and it's really just an absurd schedule. It really is, because the only two off days that last month are Wednesday, the first Wednesday in September, which is the 4th, and then the 23rd, which is a Monday, before the final two series of the season. So we only have about a minute left here. You guys have any final thoughts on this show? Double headers, man. Play if you want to. If you want the season to stop going into November, if you don't want it to be so grueling in September, do some double headers. I agree. Yeah, that's another option. I agree with that. I, I mean, mean it, schedule it, the double headers it, ahead of time. Yeah, I don't yeah, think it's unrealistic like to. to to do that. I mean, you think about all the professional sports. Um, I really, I don't think baseball is as physically demanding as the rest of them. I think it's possible. I think that it's something they should consider. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that seasons never used to stretch into November. Even they did expand it to 154 and then 162. I don't see the harm of having each team have maybe three, four double headers scheduled, and you don't have to put them obviously close. You could spread them out. Yeah, and then maybe I don't know expand the rosters just a little bit on double header days. I don't know. And even if you don't, every team would be facing the same problem. They, you know, they, we would all have the same dilemma. So I don't think it would would create some sort of competitive disadvantage for anyone in particular. Schedule, if you were to schedule two or three for each team, I mean, it, it, it would have a huge impact as far as adding two or three extra off days for each team. So I think it's, a, it's an excellent idea, and people would hardly even notice it. Right on. Well, we are just out of time. Adam and Brad, thank you for coming on the show. We had a really good time tonight. Uh, Brad, hope to have you back soon. Until next time, he's Brad, he's Adam, I'm Alex. Have a great night. Progressive's number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.